0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Reds Hot Stove League. The Reds are on the
1: radio.
0: The Reds Hot Stove League is brought to you by the Holy Grail Banks Tavern and Grill, Beacon Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, JTM Food Group, MSA Architects, Thompson McConnell Cadillac, and by Document Destruction, the Reds Hot Stove League is also brought to you by And this
1: one belongs to the
0: CBTS, a Cincinnati Bell Company. Technology solutions for business. Your Tri-State Chevy dealers. Check out Chevy's award-winning lineup only at your Tri-State Chevy dealers. The Healthcare Management Group. Greater care for greater Cincinnati. And by Woody Sander Ford. I-75 at Mitchell Avenue. Right in the middle of everywhere. Now the Reds Hot Stove League on News Radio 700 WLW. The home of the Reds. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Reds Hot Stove League. We are live from the Holy Grail Banks. We're presented by Budweiser. I'm Jim Day. My pleasure to be here tonight. Got a good crowd on hand here at the Holy Grail Banks. We thank you for all being here tonight. And um, we want to talk about this guy sitting to my left because on September 16, 1988, with the Los Angeles Dodgers in town, 27 men came to the plate and 27 men... We're retired, a perfect game, and forever more, he is Mr. Perfect. Tom Browning, how are we doing?
2: Doing good, doing good. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Is there any time that you're not introduced as Mr. Perfect?
2: <laughs> not in my house. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Publicly, though.
2: Uh, no. Well, uh, you know, it's 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 a moniker that uh, one, it's hard to live up to, but one, you kind of, I just kind of accept it, and uh, I don't take too cre- too much credence in it. Well, wow. Hour and 52 minutes of my life, I was perfect, that's it.
0: Hour and 52. Think about that. An hour and 52 minutes. Yeah. With, with the length of game. I want, that's one of the things I want to ask you about here coming up in a bit. But um, you've been making a lot of appearances for the club. Every time I look up, I'm seeing you on the road uh, for the Hall of Fame or you're in some town doing this or doing that. Do you enjoy it?
2: I do. I do. I love being involved. Uh, you know, I, I just uh, – stepped away from the coaching part and got involved with the marketing and uh the hall of fame and uh Red's community fund and they they've kept me busy they've gotten a lot of things for me to do and uh i really enjoyed this summer going to the uh, community or the uh, retirement villages you know i gotta I go to about five or six of them and uh you know, a lot of them were '75, '76 Reds fans, and also '90s fans. So it was nice to be able to relate to them. But uh, yeah, they kept me busy. They're continuing to keep me busy. They gave me the greatest gig in the world, which is that Sunday brunch with Browning at the stadium. Yeah, so.
0: <laughs> that was uh, that was a good gig. Yeah, uh, uh, brunch with Browning. Um, I got to tell you, did you ever think that you would have a business card that would say marketing on it?
2: No. Well, you know, like I said, I, I Joe Nuxall and I ran around together a lot during my playing days, and, uh, you know, I did a lot of st- stuff mm-hmm. with him, and he kind of really showed me the ropes as far as how to get out in the public and uh, get amongst the fans, and, uh, you know, so I just wanted to be able to carry on the tradition, but uh, I enjoy doing it. I miss coaching. I love coaching. i it's good to see some of the kids that I've coached that are starting to make their way to the big leagues. But, uh, you know, like I said, I thank the Reds for keeping me involved, and I'm uh, more than happy to do uh, do whatever I need to do on their behalf.
0: Well, that's one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about because you said you've uh, put the coaching, at least for now, uh, behind you. But- you were involved with a lot of these players that fans are getting to know right now on the minor league level. In fact, I remember a few years back, you I asked you, "All right, give me a, you know a couple of pitchers to keep an eye on." One guy you said was Tyler Mallet, yeah. And it comes to fruition that wow, what a pitcher! Um, what did you like about him?
2: He just never looked rattled out there. Uh, he looked like when he took the mound, he had a purpose. Uh, he attacked hitters. Uh, consistently uh he didn't mind pitching inside uh but he just was able to go out there and gobble up innings for me you know he was he could get if if he wasn't so restricted on his pitch count because we had to back him off in, in august and i told all all of my starters that that was going to happen because i expected them all to be uh frontline guys so uh but he would get you to the sixth and seventh inning consistently and that and most of the time he had a, had a chance to win the ball game or, or we were winning so uh that's the thing I looked, and the guys that you could rely on to go out there and get you six and seven innings consistently and take care of that bullpen.
0: When you look at the number of pitchers that are going to be vying for uh, spots in the Reds rotation or in the bullpen, um, a lot of these guys uh, you know, the Sal yeah. Romanos, uh, Robert Stevenson, uh, Cody Reed, Amir Garretts, uh, Finnegan, uh, Michael Lorenzen, Rookie Davis, um, it's a tremendous uh, group of arms, wow, and you're yeah. only hoping that two or three guys step up, correct?
2: Yeah, that's all we need. I and mean, you know, I think, uh, and I saw Mac Jenkins during the uh, during Reds Fest, and that's the thing, thing I said. He said, "You know, the cool thing about all these young pitchers now is they got a year under their belt, mm-hmm. so maybe they. Some of them, I think. I, I think we saw Sal Romano turn the corner a little bit at the end. I think Robert kind of figured it out a little bit." Uh, so these guys, through time out there and in, in, in the, in, with their feet to the fire, uh, figured out how to get people out. You know, they didn't all figure it out, and some of them had to go to AAA, and some of them made it back and some didn't. But uh, we got a good core of, of pitchers. Uh, we got a lot of good arms. It's just a matter of getting them to be consistent and be able to do what uh, is expected out of a starting pitcher.
0: Take us back to when you were a young pitcher and you were just on the cusp of getting big league time and when you first started becoming a major league pitcher what are the things that you try to coach to make that step and what are some things that you saw that maybe some of these guys are lacking that they need to develop this year
2: well you know I I was uh I went to instructional league in 82 my first year I get drafted and they taught me the screwball and they you know and back then instructional league and I know we've kind of got back to it was kind of an invitation thing if you had a good enough year and you were a prospect then they brought you in, and back then it was Tampa, but they took you to to kind of get an up, uh, a, a leg up on the guys not there. You know, going into spring training, you had a, a little, little bit more of an advantage. But uh, I got to uh, my first big league camp in 1984, uh, first day of live BP, and I had no idea. In my first big league camp, I was scared to death. Uh, but I go to big league camp, and I'm walking out for a live BP, and Dave Parker comes up, and, and thank God. He put his arm around me and said, listen, kid, this is as much for us as it is for you. Don't be trying to get us out. You just to work on throwing strikes and strengthening your lengthening your arm out and give us something to hit. And uh, and I did. I did that my whole career. But the first three pitches I threw that day, he hit home runs. And the third one, he stepped out, and he said, hey, did that hit my Porsche? <laughs> <laughs> so the next one did I it? did. Did it? No, I don't know because the next one I threw under his chin. But oh, and he and he just threw threw the cobra. He threw one under the chin. Yeah. Well, he told me what to do, and I said, "Man, you didn't tell me you're going to brag about it." So, uh, but I just learned that uh, you had to. uh, My identity was I was a fastball changeup guy. I worked, I worked both sides of the plate, and I worked up and down as well. You know, but I had a plan of attack. When a hitter stepped in the box, I had a plan of attack to go after this hitter, and I would say. 80 to 90 percent of the time it was the same way i approached every hitter the same there were certain guys you learned you got to pitch them differently but for the most part you know if i made quality pitches and they knew what the guy was looking first ball fastball i was a first ball fastball guy if i put him in a good spot i probably got an out Uh, i didn't try to strike guys out i just tried to stay away from the the fat part of the bat but i wanted to put the ball in play because i was able to go deeper into the game with because of the uh, pitch efficiency so
0: One thing that you used to do is work quickly. Uh, And I even had a conversation with Barry Larkin recently. Uh, It was a public conversation, in fact, uh, right before Reds Fest. And he said he loved to be on the field when you were pitching because he feels like the defense is better when the pitcher works quickly. Many guys have said that. Talked to Zach Cozart a thousand times in the years past about that. Why do some pitchers not get that?
2: Well, I, I don't. Th- again, I don't think they have a, a plan of attack, and I and I say that you know, like I said, when a hitter stepped in the box, I knew what my third pitch was before I threw my first because that third pitch was going to be my out pitch, and hopefully it was up and in because I got a, a head blown away with strike one and strike two. Now that didn't always work out that way, but that was my plan of attack. I don't think these guys have routines or have uh, a a plan of attack. I think because of the generation they're in now, <clears throat> excuse me that. Uh, the college coaches call all the pitches, you know, because they're never allowed to shake off and they're never allowed to do anything. Uh, uh, but when they get to pro ball, they kind of have to figure all that out on their own now, um, and then they're not sure how to do it. So uh, I think they just throw whatever the catcher puts down. With with no thought of why he put that ball, that pitch down, that he wanted a fastball up and in or whatever he wanted, I think sometimes they don't think about – a pitch sequence to hitters. I think they just throw whatever the catcher puts down, and hopefully they throw a strike. If not, then hopefully the next one, that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, I just knew my third pitch was going to be up and in, whether I had 0 and 2, 1 and 2, 2 and 0. Uh, that was my third pitch because I, it's a hard pitch to lay off for a right-handed power hitter, and uh, if I got it in there far enough, I got a quick fly ball. But uh, to me, I just don't think that they, they've never been allowed to throw the ball over the plate and see what happens without any uh, – Repercussions. You know, that's where I like live BP. I've always loved live BP for the hitters, and the pitchers could get stretched out, and they could throw a ball down the middle, and the guy's going to hit a ground ball with a yeah. shortstop. You know, it doesn't happen all the time. I wouldn't suggest throwing down the middle, but don't be afraid to make mistakes over the plate. You might get an out out of it. So,
0: Interesting stuff, as always, for Mr. Perfect, Tom Brown. We've got a live mic, got a good crowd here at the Holy Grail Banks, and uh, we are going to take your questions. Anyone that has a question, come up front here. Anything you would have ever wanted to ask, Mr. Perfect, Tom Brown Or Actually, the live mic is over here. Dave arm Brewster over here is the man. We're also taking your calls at 513-749-7000, 749-7000. And uh, coming up, I want to get the story of the perfect game ball and what happened to it. Okay. Will you tell that story? Sure. (laughs) That's coming up. Stay with us. Much more to come. You're listening to the Reds Hot Stove League, live from the Holy Grail Banks, presented by Budweiser. You're listening to the Reds Hot Stove League, live from the Holy Grail Banks, presented by Budweiser. We are so happy to have Mr. Perfect Reds Hall of Famer Tom Browning in the house tonight, and I am merely jim Day. the reds holiday gift pack is on sale right now starting at only forty dollars the gift pack includes four ticket credits good towards any combination of games next season plus you get a new limited edition luxury throw blanket featuring the great american ballpark skyline you can purchase your reds holiday gift pack today at reds kiosk at the kiosk located in the kenwood town center or at reds.com slash holiday some restrictions apply and we hope you're having a happy holiday season. Happy Hanukkah to those Reds fans out there of the Jewish faith. And we've got Christmas around the corner. What's uh what's Christmas like in the Browning household nowadays? A lot of kids I would imagine.
2: Yeah, lots of rappers, lots of crap. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff everywhere.
0: That's beautiful. <laughs> uh, we were talking before the break and I wanna I wanna get this story in. We've got Steve from Dayton coming up on the phone and the live mic if anyone wants to step up here, but When I first heard of the story of what happened to the baseball from the perfect game that you once had on a mantle, right? Correct. And and can you tell us what happened to the baseball from there?
2: Yeah, yeah. It sat there for, oh, my goodness, what, 88? So it probably sat there for three or four years, and it was the only thing on the mantle. And my kids, uh, my boys, always knew that if the ball had writing on it, they weren't allowed to play with it. Okay, we had a signature on it, whatever. Right. Leave it alone. Well, this one didn't have anything on it. It sat there, like I said, for three or four years. And I remember one day coming home and it was gone. And I said, uh, Tanner, I said, you guys know what happened to that ball that was up? He goes, yeah, Kyle and I were out back playing with it. And he said, Kyle hit it in the woods. I said, well, did you go get it? And he goes, nah, it in the woods. Why? I said, well, because it was the last out of my perfect game. He goes, oh, sorry. <laughs> <How's that? laughs> so this house was in Northern
0: Kentucky, right? I remember yeah, the house being well, up on a hill and there's no. A big this is my first house. All oh, oh, those first are your first. House?
2: Okay. On, on Hurstbourne, uh, yeah.
0: So somewhere around there, there's a baseball. It's that's
2: nesting. It's nesting,
0: and if not, someone found it in the woods and has no idea it is a historical baseball. No, nah,
2: they didn't find it in the woods. You no, know. nah, that's. that's <laughs> But I, 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 after the game was over, though the, uh, the, the, the kids that uh, worked the ground or the umpires room said, hey, we got some used balls. Would you like some game used balls? And I said, yeah. And I said there was one in particular that I wanted. I don't know what inning it was, but Mickey Hatcher, the first baseman, mm-hmm. came up to the plate with a black bat and that silver anniversary writing on the Louisville Slugger, and I jammed him so bad that when I got the ball back, it had Louisville Slugger in reverse on the ball in silver. Really. And I was so proud of that that I threw it into Pete Rose to show him how bad I jammed him. So after the game was over, and I said, yeah, I want I six or seven. I said, but there's one in particular because I already had the last out in my glove. Uh, I said, there's one in particular that I wanted, and they brought that back, and I gave that one to my dad. So I know that was still around. So,
0: Wow. You had, obviously, some teammates that are uh, folklore here in Reds country, a uh, member of the 1990 World Series champion team. Who um, are some of your favorite guys that you play with? If someone, I know it's a tough question because you, uh, you play with a lot of guys, but – who were the guys that were your favorite teammates? Give us maybe three.
2: Oh gosh, I, I, I like them all. Um, you know, Buddy Bell was probably my my the coolest guy, the the, the most professional guy. I'm not going to count the Big Red Machine guys, you know, Pete and Tony and Griff right. and Davey. I mean, they were they were awesome. Uh, I was it was a pleasure being around them. But I mean, as far as Ronnie Oster, Buddy Bell, uh, you know, Barry and I, you know, – we share the same birthday, so, uh, and it was awesome having him at short because I picked more guys off a second than I did at first because Barry and I had a pretty good move there, so, uh, Joe Oliver, I know I'm not going to just name three, but, uh, you know, Eric, Eric and I came all the way up together. Uh, I just did a banquet up there in Brookville for Dave Miley. I never got to play the big deal with Dave Miley, but he was a, a good teammate in AAA, but, uh, you know, Buddy Bell probably made the biggest impression, Dave Parker for sure, uh, but, you know, those guys, you just kind of stayed out of their way. But Buddy just seemed like the right guy. Uh, and Ronnie Oster, those two guys, we used to hang out together and uh, drink milkshakes together.
0: So. Awesome. Great guys that you named. We're taking your calls at 513-749-7000. And we have Steve from Dayton standing by. Steve, what you got?
1: How you doing? It's nice to talk
0: to you, Tom. All right, Steve. Welcome.
1: Uh, hey, uh, you know, I was thinking exactly what you said in the first part. Kids that are, you know, 8 to 15-year-olds, they're, they're playing, they're having fun, pictures I'm talking. They get 16, 17, they're driving a the car, and, and they're ones that are already growing 75 to 80, 85 maybe in high school, and they're, they're better. Maybe you could write a little book or something about how to come up with that plan so they don't overthink it. Don't try to be too much and simplify it for them.
2: Okay, well that's a good thought. Um, you know, I I, I don't uh, even give many lessons anymore. Although I'm going to start giving some this year for the first time in a while. But uh, you know, with them young kids, uh, the more you try to get them to do things, I think the the more mechanical they get and they get, and then they start trying to analyze their own delivery instead of just playing catch off the rubber and hopefully throwing it over the plate kind of thing. I
1: just uh, thought maybe a plan that they could work with the catcher so they know those they kind of their plan without having to just throw what's thrown down there and they kind of have an idea.
2: Well, like I said, I think this generation now because none of them are, are calling their own games, you know. Uh, I remember doing my own thing in Babe Ruth and uh, American Legion and, and uh, college. I, you know, I would change speeds on my own kind of thing and I just, uh, you know, I just don't see those kids doing that because I think the, the, the word velocity is, is so prevalent now in the game of baseball. Yeah. Uh, that command and, and uh, uh, the ability to repeat that delivery is almost second second uh, fiddle. So, uh,
1: well, I appreciate your thoughts, and Merry Christmas, and maybe you should warn the police down by that house because there'll probably be a bunch of people looking for that ball in the woods tomorrow. <laughs> oh, well, they're
2: not going to find it. It's,
1: uh, I'm sure some squirrels
2: tore it all up, and they used it for nesting. So. But thanks for calling, thanks, Steve.
0: Steve, thank you very much. He might be onto something here. This could be a moneymaker. No. The Browning blueprint of, of how to pitch and uh, well, thinking give- man. If you need a co-author, I'm available. Well, well. Get ready or at least someone to type. to give up a lot of
2: home runs. If you're going to throw them the way I do, you're going to give up a lot of home runs. So.
0: Yeah, but most of them you gave up were solo so, yeah, shots. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. the key, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I like to give hitters confidence and then knowing when I had to get them out, I knew what I had to do to get them out. So. All
0: right. We will uh, – Check in with some news around Major League Baseball coming up, including another accolade for Joey Votto. A lot of rumors going around. We'll pick Tom Browning's brain about that. Once again, taking your calls, 513-749-7000. It is the Reds Hot Stove League. We are live from the Holy Grail Banks, presented by Budweiser. It is the immortal Reds Hot Stove League, live from the Holy Grail Banks. Presented by Budweiser, I'm Jim Day, and we've got Mr. Perfect, Tom Browning in the house tonight. A terrific crowd on hand here at the Grail. Hopefully everyone's enjoying the holiday season. And we mentioned uh, we're taking some calls at 513-749-7000, and we've got a couple standing by. Let's go right to them. They want to pick the brain of Mr. Perfect or anything Cincinnati Reds related. We've got Jeff and Mount Adams. Jeff, how we doing?
1: Yes, uh, Tom, I have a question. When I grew up in the 50s and 60s watching pitchers like Jim Maloney and uh, Whitey Ford and Robin Roberts, when they would warm up, they, they would start at 40 feet, go to 50 feet, and then 60 feet and pitch nine innings. Today, pitchers throw long toss for 10 minutes. To me, they've already pitched three innings throwing long toss. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs>
2: Uh, well, I wasn't a long toss guy. I was a 40 feet, 50 feet, 60 feet guy, and then I then I went out there and went six, so or seven, uh, or eight, yeah, or nine. Or not, yeah. Uh, and I understand where where you're coming from, and I and I think uh, basically because these kids have been brought up on this long toss, and we got this thing called flat ground. Uh, you know, they they're used to doing it. That's part of their routine. Uh, but I do think the, that long toss program they're wasting bullets. Uh, I I, I think that they could get ready. I mean, if they want to throw a long toss a little bit, but I wouldn't spend 10 minutes, you know. I mean, I I, I just think that uh, the velocity part, I always used to build up or we were always taught to build up to gain speed and they'll throw a few pitches, gain speed, and then go out there and pitch. You know, these guys are at game speed by the third pitch in the bullpen and, uh, you know, they're just wearing themselves down more than anything else. Again, I just think this generation now, the way that they've – gone about taking all the, the pressure off the kids by uh, letting the coaches uh, call the pitches and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden they get to pro ball, and then they're kind of lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and our job, I think, as coaches is to try and get them to figure out exactly what they're all about and how to go about attacking hitters. But, yeah, I think the long toss program, uh, we've probably taken it a little bit further than we probably like to see it. The flat ground, I think, uh, again, these are little things that the kids have grown up with, uh whether i'm a big believer or not these kids like it and it's part of their routine so you kind of got to grant them their wishes in that regard but uh i try to keep those guys to to spend most of their time on the hill if you want to work on pitch let's pitch off the hill as opposed to playing the flat ground and stuff like that but all right thank you a lot tom you're welcome thank you for calling
0: jeff thanks for your call i i want to ask you this and this this is one of these things that drives me crazy someone watches the the game on a daily basis. It doesn't seem like the thinking man pitcher is out there anymore, particularly looking at the way that a hitter is attacking the pitcher. Maybe he throws the first pitch and the, the the guy's leaning out over the plate or he swings and misses at a particular ball or a long foul ball. Um the guys aren't reading swings correct. Yeah they're not and pitching to combat that. Do you also see this and why oh, yeah. do you think this art form is going away?
2: Well uh I had a kid that was uh, threw pretty hard, and the hitter was fouling everything. A right-hand hitter, he's a right-hand pitcher, and he was a right-hand and right hitter. And he kept fouling everything. He fouled like three fastballs off over the opposite field dugout. And then he tried to throw a, a slider, and then the guy hit one off the wall. And, and he couldn't figure out why. And he said, well, you sped his bat up. Uh, to, re- and he still wasn't getting to your fastball, and all you did was slow the ball down for him. So instead of him being late on your fastball, he was right on your slider. I said those those are things you got to remember. I said because if, if you throw him a slider early, and now he got that in the back of his head, suddenly that fastball picks up some momentum. But these guys have never been, uh, I don't think they've experienced that in that regard, you know. And again, I think if it, you put them in a setting where they can figure some of that stuff out on their own. That becomes one less or two less trips to the mound you got to make every day because they've kind of figured some of that stuff out. Uh, but I just think that they don't trust their stuff enough where they're, gonna, they're willing to throw it over the plate and see what happens.
0: And I also uh, think the art of pitching inside with effectiveness has kind of gone away as it well. It has. And uh, I'd love to see that come back. All right, we've got Jacob clear out in San Antonio. Jacob, how are we doing in Texas tonight? Hello, Jacob.
2: Hello?
0: Hey, Jacob, if you could turn the, uh, your phone or radio down. You're on the air, brother.
2: Can you hear me? We can.
0: Gotcha.
1: Hello. Um, My name is Jacob, and uh, I'm 15, and from Antonia, Ohio. And, All right, uh, I, I wasn't really expecting to be answered. I'm not going to be honest, but... uh. I have a question for uh, Tom. All right. Um, So what was your motivation as a kid to continue to play baseball and strive for a goal?
2: Well, I was the Cincinnati Reds, big red machine of the 70s. Uh, I thought baseball was, you know, I I actually wanted to be a center fielder for the Reds. I wanted to be Cesar Geronimo, but uh, I had to pitch. Wow, never knew that yeah well nobody wants just to be a pitcher so and that's all i had available to me so i, had I don't to know why it. you
0: guys have the best gig going every five days <laughs> oh
2: yeah but still you get greedy i wanted to play the outfield one time in the, in the big leagues just for an inning but it never happened but uh, jacob to answer your question i just wanted to be able to play this game uh, at the highest level where the best players in the world played uh, and i'm talking back in the you know mid to late 70s uh, my junior high and high school years uh I was 155 pounds when I graduated from high school, uh, wow. and I got to about 185 when I was a junior in college. Of course, beer was 18 was a drinking age, so that probably helped. But uh, I never lost sight of that that goal of mine, is where I wanted to be able to play where the best players in the world played. You know, and it, <clears> by the time I got to be in high school, I knew it was just going to be pitching. Uh, but I, I never lost sight of that goal, and I was going to do everything mm-hmm. I could.
0: Jacob, we appreciate well, the call tonight. Stay safe out there and have a good holiday season out there in San Antonio. We are blessed to have Tom Browning in the house tonight. Step aside for a break. Much more to come. It's the Reds Hot Stove League. We're live from the Holy Grail Banks. We're presented by Budweiser. All right, welcome back to the Holy Grail Banks. It's the Reds Hot Stove League presented by Budweiser alongside Tom Browning. I am Jim Day. Uh, congratulations, Joey Vado. He was named as the winner of the Lou Marsh Award for being Canada's most outstanding athlete of the year. That's not just in baseball, folks. That's beating out everyone in hockey as well. It's the second second time he's won the award, and he said it kind of makes up for not winning the National League MVP. He also won it back in 2010 when he won the Most Valuable Player Award. So, I mean, we're talking about uh, beating out Sidney Crosby. Uh, the hockey player. So in Canada, that is something. Congratulations to Joey. Today, Bob Costas was named the Ford Frick winner. He will be entering the broadcaster's wing of the Hall of Fame. Uh, legendary voice as well of baseball and uh, lover of baseball and well-deserved there. The winner meeting continued to go on in Orlando. Uh, kind of quiet on the Reds' front a little bit. There hasn't been a move made uh, today. The Cardinals did acquire outfielder Jose Ozuna from the Marlins. The Marlins are doing another fire sale. Uh, That's pending a physical, so it hasn't become official yet, but that is a a big move. Osuna last year uh, was in the top five in home runs, RBIs, hits. Uh, He is a terrific outfielder. He's going to be expensive in the future, but they're uh, you know wanting to stay competitive, so the Cardinals making that move. Lots of rumors and talk of trading Billy Hamilton. There was talk about the Reds and the Giants getting together, and according to Ken Rosenthal, he says those talks of Faded significantly, Um, so we'll see what happens. Um, It's a guy that I know you would love to have in center field if you were a pitcher. Defensively, there's none better in the league. Offensively, still working on his game. Uh, What do you think of the rumors out there?
2: Well, you know, again, when you get players that get to the major leagues and they're all ready to play or at least uh, have a chance to play, Sometimes you got to trade them just to give them the opportunity, or or maybe you have got to use them to get us a, to get the Reds a better player, whatever. I love Billy Hamilton. Uh, I think defensively he's a Gold Glove guy, although he didn't win it. Uh, he certainly, I think he's probably the pitcher's best friend. Um, I, I hope it doesn't it doesn't happen, but again we've we've got uh, Winker showed up. Uh, you know, obviously Duvall and uh, Shebler. and you know we've got some we've got some. Uh, players out there but i don't think any of them are in billy's caliber defensively but offensively is what i think they're worried about with billy so
0: yeah well we'll see is like any deal it just depends on uh well what are you going to get for him so yeah, yep. um, it's that's always the key obviously so we'll, we'll see what happens on down the road all right we got some callers waiting keith on a cell keith how are we doing tonight my man
1: hey fine guys thanks for taking my call hey uh hey tom on the uh, lost baseball what kind of punishment did you dish out
2: Heck, I didn't do anything. It was a baseball. Oh, okay. I thought, no, was no.
1: I thought maybe,
2: hey, man, would you go out there and get my ball back up here? You know? uh, I would have made him go get it. Nah, no, you know, just, again, because it was, uh, they followed the rules. It was a ball well, that didn't true. have any writing on it. And, well, uh,
1: okay. All right. I, I so you, you messed up. I,
2: I did. I screwed up. That was my fault. So My hey, wife my awesome. wife still got the fur coat, though, so. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> That's more important. We all that's know that.
1: A, that's a win-win then. Okay. Yes. Hey, uh, when you pitched, I mean, a lot of the venues that you pitched in in your career are are no longer there anymore. Most of these ball clubs have newer, or, you know, newer ballparks, things of that nature. Uh, as a pitcher, does that make a difference on how you prep? You know, no. a lot of those cookie cutters that you pitched in aren't there anymore, and now the ballparks are, you know, more open air. They've got breaks in the stands. So, you know, there's, Open areas for wind and stuff. Does that make a difference or would that make a difference?
2: No, nah, you know, the only one you ever worried about that with was in Wrigley, you know, and you always kind of, uh, actually, I, I, I like pitching with the wind blowing out because the hitters were a little bit more aggressive. Uh, when the wind's blowing in, you know, the jam shots that you get find a way of falling in. Uh, you know, it's just a little bit different. It's a different animal there, but for the most part, I. I I don't think anybody does anything differently. I don't think they try to be any different uh, no matter where they're at. I just think they try to find a way to mix whatever pitches they got into uh, wherever ballpark they're in. But, again, I I think when you have an identity, and I was a fastball changeup guy, and I never wavered from that uh, ever. Uh, and it was it was my success, And, and I, whether it was in Wrigley Field or in San Diego or wherever. But, uh, no, I just, again, I just think uh, – we should spend more time throwing strikes and not so worried about so much how hard we're throwing. Uh, Keith, we exactly. appreciate the call.
0: Hey,
1: thanks for you guys. Keep up the good work. Great
0: show. Let's go quickly thanks, to Mike and Union. We've got about a minute here. Mike, what do you got?
1: Uh, quick question. First of all, uh, I enjoy listening to the show every Wednesday. Um, my question for, is for you, Jim. Um, since uh, the Reds didn't bring back Jim Kelch this year, and he was the other play-by-play guy besides Marty, I know you did a couple of games on the radio last year. Have the Reds talked to you about possibly doing some uh, play-by-play on the radio this year?
0: Tom Browning is uh, acting like he's interviewing me right now uh, on the live mic. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I do know I'm going to be doing a few more TV games. I think uh, um, the, the new contract that's going to kick in with Fox Sports Ohio uh, you're going to see some more TV games being broadcast, so I think I'll be in the mix there. Um, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I know I'm available. I'd love to do it if um, if uh, the op- opportunity is there, and uh, we'll just have to see you. Uh, I've, heard,
1: I've heard you did a couple of games on radio last year, if yeah, I, I remember did. correctly, and I thought you did a pretty good job. Have well, you done you. that previously?
0: Uh, not not on radio since probably college so i was kind of thrown into the fire but i enjoyed it and if i get more opportunities uh, i think i can only get better so we'll okay. see
1: okay well i was sorry to hear that jim kelch isn't coming back i thought he did a good job but i know that marty's the only primary play-by-play guy they have now so i know they're looking for somebody else
0: well we'll see if you uh you could be my agent there mike there you go appreciate it i'll give you a call all right Thank All right, you. we got some uh, other callers standing by. We also have a request to tell the Wrigley Field story of when you went oh. to the rooftops and what was behind it. Oh, we've got applause for that one. So that's around the corner. Stay with us. It's the Reds Hot Stove League. We're at the Holy Grail Banks, presented by Budweiser. Reds Hot Stove League. Back live from the Holy Grail Banks, presented by Budweiser. I'm Jim Day. He is Mr. Perfect Tom Browning. And leave it to investigative reporter Dave Yiddy Armbruster. We talked about the perfect game baseball being hit into the woods at one of your previous houses. Yid hands me a sheet of paper that says Kyle in Colorado is the guy that hit that ball into the woods, and he's on the line. Kyle, what the heck were you thinking?
1: I had no idea it was a uh, perfect game ball. That's uh, you can say, being young and uh, dumb.
2: Yeah, I would say that was you.
1: Yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, How
2: you doing, Kyle? Average, but you can't be the best. Good, sir. How are you? Very good. How's Colorado? Oh, it's beautiful. Are How, you, he escaped
0: you? to Colorado because he was are afraid you, of the repercussions.
2: Are you down near <laughs> Durango?
1: Uh, no, I'm a little bit away. I'm in the uh, Castle Rock area.
2: Oh, okay, okay. Awesome, yeah, yeah. yeah. well, you, you lost my ball. Uh, yeah, that's, that's
1: what uh, my father just called and told me. He said I should call in and uh, tell you how terrible I feel that I uh, didn't even know that was a perfect game. Well, ball. well,
2: the, the the key is that Tanner didn't know anything about it, and he yeah. took it out there, so I'm not going to blame you. It's a heck of a story
0: <laughs> to tell, though, Kyle, yes. that you, you hit an historic baseball. I mean, we're talking about a perfect game. It is rare in Major League Baseball, and you hit that ball, so... You have that well,
1: story go ahead to tell. And just rub it in there. That, no. That did already hurt. But, yeah, uh, good to talk to you and uh, apologize about that one. No,
2: you? no, don't apologize, please. <laughs> An You're
0: official fine. apology, I, a again, public apology. We've I, come full circle here tonight on the Red Sox Stove League. Kyle,
2: I, I, I we, have to take responsibility because yeah. I left it there for someone to grab. So, uh, yeah, I'm well, not holding it against you, Kyle.
1: it, so <laughs> he's uh,
0: gone. Kyle, we appreciate the call, man.
1: Thank you guys. Have good night. Hey, thanks, Kyle. Good luck
0: out there in Colorado. All right, we got uh, with the time left. We've got to get to the story. And everyone wants to get to it. Our uh, boat captain Hank presented this uh, question here tonight at the Holy Grail. The story behind yeah. the Wrigley Field. You going up on the rooftops? This was 1993, July 7th, 1993. What? Where did you get the idea? How
2: this happened? Well, actually, it was by accident because I was trying to get in the scoreboard uh buddy of mine from the pirates got in the scoreboard so he told me the guy to talk to when we got to chicago and he would take me up in the scoreboard well when i got to that point the guy wouldn't let me in there because he got um, um, i guess he got in some trouble for letting bobby walk in there so i I went down and asked him he said you want to get in the scoreboard i said i do and he said i can't blah 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 so i said okay so during batting practice tim belch and i are you know we're standing out in the outfield looking around and i said what about one of them buildings So, we go inside after batting practice, and Tom Hellman, the clubhouse manager, knows the guy that owns all them buildings. So, uh, his name is George Lucas. I called him on the phone. I met him across. He owned Murphy's Pub, by the way, and every building beyond there. So, I met him, went three flights of stairs, got up there, waved to my guys, and... uh, I'd like to be, I mean, I can make it longer, but I'm not. So that's what happened.
0: We're getting the rap sign, but that will live in folklore forever. Hey, big round of applause for Mr. Perfect Tom Browning for joining us tonight. Thanks for joining us on the Reds Hot Stove League. We'll see you on down the road.